Well, it's really good to see you, those of you here in the sanctuary this morning. Uh, it's good to be seen by you, those of you watching online this morning. I'm so grateful that we can be connected no matter where we are today and wherever it is you sit. Uh, welcome. Uh, when I was going through my mother's belongings along with my sisters uh, after my mom's death last month, we came across some old letters between my mom and her cousin. I told you about these. Some of them go back to the 1960s. And the context is lost to us, but you can discern in these letters a warm relationship between two moms who are going through really tough times. And a letter like that is a treasure. And when you find a letter like that, you mine it, right, for all of its insight and wisdom. And the letter that we've been studying together as a church is a very old letter. It goes all the way back to the 60s. Uh, not the 1960s, but the 60s, like the first 60s, like this is A.D. 61, written in Rome by a real person. His name is Paul, to real people living in a real city called Philippi. And this letter is a treasure. And we have been mining it for its insight and wisdom over these last few weeks. We've been moving through paragraph by paragraph when we're together here on Sunday mornings and then we've been talking about it in small groups and many of these small groups meet in person and a lot of them meet exclusively online and some of them are a hybrid and we're about halfway through this study but if you want to catch up you can always see past sermons on the website or in the app and today all, all the all eight videos of the eight small group sessions those are all online as well as a participants guide uh, if you want to catch up and join us. But let's pick up where we left off, and we're going to dig in with chapter 3 this morning, uh, where Paul says this, Finally, my brothers and sisters... Now, do you know what it means when a preacher says finally? Absolutely nothing. Uh, this could be the end of the sermon. It might not be. And Paul's only halfway through his letter. He's going to crank up here again. Now, remember, Paul, Paul is not writing with his laptop computer He's manually recording his free flow of thought, and maybe it was Paul's original intent to finish his letter here. Uh, maybe it's a transitional line, certainly is a transitional line to a new topic. And often when you see the word finally or in conclusion in writing or in speech, what follows often is a summary of the whole book, the whole letter, the whole sermon, or, or, or the key point, and I think that's what we have here. Finally, my brothers and sisters... Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord could be considered a summary of the entire letter to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord could be the key point that Paul wants his leaders to take away. Rejoice. Live in joy. Choose joy. So this then, finding, uh, this, this then is a biblical command from an apostle of God. Now, uh, how difficult is this command to obey? If, if you were going to rank order all the biblical commands of which you are aware in, in order of difficulty, where would you put this one in the rank order? How hard is it to rejoice in the Lord? How hard is it for you right now? Paul says, choose joy, and joy is a choice. Joy is not an emotion it is a decision. Uh, and do not confuse joy with happiness. 
Happiness and joy are two entirely different things. Happiness is when circumstances go your way. It's when problems are resolved or removed. It's when you get the promotion, the bonus, the good health report, the good grade, the unexpected compliment. Happiness is based on externals, not, not so with joy. Joy is internal. In fact, the Bible says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning it, it's a product that comes from a life yielded to God. Paul is writing about joy while he's in prison, while he's in chains. He does not know if he's going to live or die. He has been beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned. He's gone without food. Uh, Paul's joy does certainly not come from his circumstances. When Paul says rejoice in all circumstances, like he will later in this letter again, Paul knows what he's talking about. That, that, that joy comes from being connected with God in ways that look beyond life's circumstances. And so uh, Paul tells him to choose joy, and then he gives him another piece of advice. And again, this is going to seem like a, a radical shift in his thought, but remember, Paul's writing a letter here, a free-form letter, because he switches to this language. At the very next line, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. But it sounded like Paul was going to land this thing. Finally, my brothers and sisters, and you kind of sense people's heads starting to bow for the closing prayer. And then all of a sudden, watch out for those dogs. And people are like, well, I guess we're not going to lunch uh, yet. Uh, he's off on this, watch out for those dogs because those dogs will steal your joy. Who let those dogs out? Those dogs that Paul is writing about, these are the legalistic Christians who required cultural conformity from the new Christians. Uh, you, you know, uh, if you know something about the Bible, you know a lot of the debates you read about in the New Testament were about circumcision. And it's important for us to understand why. And so first, let's understand circumcision, the cutting off of part of the male foreskin from the male genitalia. It, exactly what you were hoping we were going to talk about today. It actually is important to understand the first century debate around this rite. In the Old Testament, every male uh, who was part of the covenant community of faith was to be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth as a sign of the covenant, as a sign of the promise, as a, as a sign that they are part of this covenant community of faith, as a sign of this great inheritance into which they were born. Now you might wonder, I'm sure they wondered back then, why circumcision? Why was that the sign of the faith? Uh, why was that the sign of the covenant family? You know, why not a secret handshake or a decoder ring or something like that? And we do know in the ancient world, even before it was a symbol of faith, that circumcision was used as a rite of passage into puberty and of entrance into marriage. And we know also that in some places in the ancient world, it was a sign of, of cleanliness. And so it kind of makes sense that God sees this symbol already in the culture and expanded it. Instead of entrance into a, a marriage family, it's now entrance into a spiritual family, into the covenant community. It's now going to be a sign of the cleanliness that is found in God. Circumcision was a physical act, a physical marker designed to point to something more invisible, the condition of someone's heart and soul and their relationship with God. But over time, the Israelites began to place their confidence in the physical sign 
as much as in what the sign represented, which was never God's intent. And the Old Testament prophets looked forward to a day when God would perform figuratively this surgery on the human soul. And Paul says that time is now, that the only thing required to be part of this covenant family is faith in Jesus Christ. It's circumcision of the heart that matters. And so Paul taught that all you need for salvation is Jesus, but these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, they said what you need is Jesus and, Jesus and outward conformity to various codes and rituals. And Paul always got angry when someone said that salvation is Jesus and. Jesus and anything. Jesus and now dress this way. Jesus and like this kind of music. Jesus and you've got to use this kind of language. These are just cultural things and are not essential to the gospel, but people get them mixed up all the time. Elevating or trusting in religious practices is what Paul calls putting confidence in the flesh. And that's the language he uses in the next area. Next line, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's going to get a little braggadocious here, not braggadocious. He's going to explain the difference here. He's going to outline it. If anyone has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, okay, you want to talk about circumcision? Uh, To which they and we say, no, no, not really. We We don't. And Paul says, that's good, because this is bigger than circumcision. Confidence in the flesh isn't just circumcision. It's any time... You put your confidence in your own abilities and your own accomplishments rather than what God has done and is doing for you. When I put confidence in my flesh, I base my identity, my self-worth, my security on who I am and the things that I can do apart from God and the things that I have accomplished. And we all do this. Money, vocations, looks, degrees, Now, for Paul, putting confidence in the flesh had to do with religious activity. That was his culture. That was his occupation. That was the tribe in which he moved. And so he goes on here to kind of give his resume. He says, if anyone has confidence, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day, exactly how it's supposed to be done. Of the tribe of Benjamin, of all the tribes, this tribe is near the top of the list. In regard to the law of Pharisee, and you remember Pharisees highly regarded in that culture as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This is a very good resume of religion. This is a very good list of spiritual assets. But then, uh, then well, we see Paul's going to turn the corner here, and he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And Paul here now is invoking financial language, profits and loss, assets and liabilities. It's important that we understand assets and liabilities. You know, before there was Dave Ramsey, there were people like Robert Kiyosaki writing about financial literacy. Robert Kiyosaki wrote a landmark book 25 years ago uh, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it sold something like 30 million copies, right? Robert Kiyosaki is now a rich dad. And, uh, and the, the bottom line of this, of this book is, uh, it, for financial literacy and understanding, uh, Robert Kiyosaki says, you have to understand the difference between assets and liabilities. Because people get these mixed up all the time. It's not as clear as you might think. Assets and liabilities. Kiyosaki's definition, an asset 
is anything that puts money into your pocket. A liability is anything that takes money out of your pocket. But this can be confusing sometimes, so we're going to do a little asset and liability quiz uh, from Kiyosaki, an apartment building. You buy an apartment building, you buy a rental house that someone's going to rent from you. Is that an asset or a liability? An, an asset. Someone said both. Yeah, you're, that's a homeowner speaking, yep. Uh, uh, apartment building, he would say, is, is an asset because you, you get income and it, it re- rises in value. It appreciates. Um, he, he, what, about, what about the second one? What about a car? Asset or liability? Uh, both. Uh, Kiyosaki says it is a liability because cars always cost you money and they depreciate in value. Right? What about, uh, what about a child? Asset, <laughs> asset or liability? Children are wonderful assets in every way except financially. <laughs> Children take money out of your pocket. And, uh, and Paul says there's something similar in spiritual life. You, you have to know the difference between a spiritual asset and a spiritual liability. And these are not clearly separated as you might think. You get this confused all the time. How do you know? How do you know if something is a spiritual asset or a spiritual liability? Ask yourself a few questions. Does this thing, does this asset, does this thing, uh, does it make me more dependent upon God or does it make me more self-reliant? Does the presence of this attainment or achievement make me more humble or does it make me more proud? Does it help me to love people or does it lead me to judge them? Does it help me put my identity in Jesus or does it lead me to build my identity on my own? Jesus radically turned over the human understanding of assets and liabilities when he said things like, blessed are the poor. Is poor an asset or a liability? Jesus is not saying that poverty is good. Poverty is not good. But neither does being poor keep you away from the blessed life. In fact, people who, are, who experience a, a poorness financially or poorness in spirit understand something about God that eludes other people. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Not because grief is good. Grief is not good. But those who grieve will experience something of God that the non-grieving never will. And so for Paul, suffering becomes an odd kind of asset. Paul takes a step, a step further. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider, I need to back, yeah, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul says, these things that I thought were assets, they turned out to be liabilities. The, the things I thought were assets that I did to get me closer to God, they actually, they just made me more proud. They made me more blind. They made me more judgmental. They're supposed to get me to this kingdom of God, and instead they became oddly barriers. I consider them garbage, is the way your English translation reads, rubbish. And uh, this is a very polite English translation. Uh, Paul uses here a very strong word in the Greek language, a very earthy word. He uses the Greek word skubalon. Skubalon, here translated garbage. A better translation for skubalon would be manure or dung or feces. 
and I'm still using very kind English translations. The word skublon, not, not, not a swear word, but a very strong word. You know, in Paul's day, there might have been a camel with a bumper sticker on the back that says, skublon happens. You know, you're, you, might, you might post on Facebook, you know, 2020, the year of skublon. And, uh, and Paul says, uh, all that stuff I was so proud of, it's just a big pile of doo-doo. My real asset is Jesus. My real confidence is Jesus. He goes on in uh, verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, man, I want to know Christ. I want to know his suffering. I want to experience a kind of death. I want to put some things in my life to death so that I can experience resurrection because there's no resurrection without some, some death. We have to put to death some things. I've been thinking about some of the things that tend to make me proud. And in, in, in my circle, in my tribe of pastors, it often tends to be education or things like that. So, you know, in our, in our association of churches, ministers are required at least to have a Master of Divinity degree, sometimes abbreviated MDiv. I have one of those. And then some of us go on. I, I did and got a Doctor of Ministry, sometimes abbreviated D, uh, period Min, D Min. And uh, I've, got, I've got one of those. And um, I, I may have told you one time I went to a, a high school reunion for Angie's class. She went to a very small Christian school. I like her reunions way better than my own. I went to a big public school in Warren, and when they hear that I'm a pastor, they were like, gosh, we thought you were a dork in high school. Like, you have exceeded all expectations. But Angie's little Christian school, it's kind of cool to be a pastor. It's a whole different culture. They're like, Angie got herself a minister. And, uh, and Angie, you know, Angie's like, yeah, I feel sorry for you girls that you know, ended up with doctors and CEOs. Yeah. Because we're living it up uh, here. Um, she, she does not say that. But one guy, true story, one guy came up to me at the reunion and he said, I, I, hear, that you have a, I hear that you have a demon. <laughs> put, the, put that back, put that last out there. When, when he said it, I heard D E A M O N. I hear you've got a demon. And I, and, and I thought, oh, you mean, you mean a D men. You have a de-. But once he said it, I couldn't unhear it. And he went, how long have you had your demon? And what kind of demon do you have? And are you glad that you possess a demon? And, uh, and I, really, driving home that night, I thought somebody at the seminary should have thought of that before naming a degree for pastors a demon. That's some joke from the marketing department or something. What is your doctorate turned demon? What's that thing that you're so proud of that you got because you thought it would lead you to the blessed life that in the end blocked you from it, led you away from it? What's your, what's your thing you thought was an asset that's become a liability? What's your doctorate that turned into your demon? For a lot of us church insiders... Our tribe tends to go with biblical knowledge attainment or years spent in a church. 40 years in a church. Asset or liability? 
asset, incredible asset, multiple decades in a Christian community, an asset, it's an asset unless, unless, unless it made you more proud, unless it makes you more judgmental, unless it makes you more blind, then your asset becomes your liability. Your doctorate becomes your demon. And what's the answer to this? Because the answer isn't to never study the Bible. The answer isn't to never get a doctorate. The answer isn't to never give a raise to a pastor with a doctorate. That's not it. The answer is to focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, Jesus tells us parable about the pearl of great price. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like this pearl of incredible, infamatal worth. It, it's this pearl that a, that a farmer finds and he buries it to hide it and he goes, so he sells everything he has because I have to have that. I have to have the pearl of great price. And that's, that's how Paul treats Jesus. I, did, I have to have Jesus. I have to have what he's offering. I want to know Christ. Don't give me a dead religion when there is a live Jesus to encounter. Don't give me the chains of legalism when I can experience the freedom that comes from the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. Don't give me a lot of rules and rituals and do's and don'ts when I can sacrificially give my life to this great cause of the kingdom. Give me the pearl of great price. Give me the kingdom of God. Don't give me Jesus and, right, just give me Jesus. In a moment, we're going to receive communion. Different churches have different practices for this. And Paul would tell us, do not focus on the sign, but focus on what the sign represents. Focus on the one to whom this sign points. Focus on Jesus. Would you bow and pray? I want to invite you to a moment of, of silent prayer. If there is a habit, a sin, something you've been building your identity on, something that has puffed you up instead of making you more humble or more reliant upon God, would you just confess that right now in prayer? Just talk to the Father about that. If you've had trouble finding joy in this season, just talk to God about that right now. God understands the trying circumstances that you face. God understands the pressure that you are under. Ask God to reveal to you the real reason that joy eludes you. Ask him to give you strength and discernment. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and calling us to yourself. We gather today as people who probably have lots of reasons to put confidence in the flesh. We confess that we are prone to confuse assets and liabilities. Set our minds straight. Make our ledgers clear. 
Help us to find our identity, our confidence, our perspective in you. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to choose joy. This we pray as your people, as your church, in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and the whole church said together, Amen.